0: This is not the media. This is hell.
1: Hundreds of thousands have taken to the streets of India's capital, New Delhi, and they've been there for several weeks now This all dates back to protests that began in July Against three new proposals by the government of Prime Minister Modi To essentially privatize the agricultural se- agriculture sector in India Which is currently protected from the vagaries of the market By a set of laws including price minimums That keep the already poverty and debt stricken farmers From going into deeper poverty A poverty ...that has led to approximately 140,000 farmer suicides over the last five years. 70% of India's population is dependent upon agriculture for their livelihoods... ...and of the farmers, two-thirds of their farms are on less than two and a half acres... ...with the Prime Minister being close friends with the wealthy owners... ...of the biggest agriculture concerns that could benefit from the new laws... It's no wonder these small farmers are worried that the whole thing is a plan for these giant conglomerates to come in and take their land from them. Another problem is agriculture is culture in India. So you take their land, you've stolen their culture. We'll find out exactly what is going on in India in a few minutes when we speak with lawyer and farmer activist Avik Saha. National General Secretary of Swaraj India, a political party whose mission is, as their website, swarajindia.org states, to usher in probity, transparency, and accountability in electoral politics. You can follow Swaraj India on Twitter at underscore Swaraj India. Avik is also National Convener of Jay. Kisan Andalan, and All India Farmers and Farm Workers Organization, and he's an organizing secretary at All India Kisan Sangharsh Coordination Committee and All India Platform of Farmers and Farm Workers Organizations. Find out more about that group at A I K S C C, A I K S C C on Twitter, and you can follow Avik on Twitter at Avik Saha, India, Avik. Saha, India. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show, live stream, podcast host, Chuck Mertz. Producing is Alex Jerry. Alex, please remind us,
0: what's this week's question from hell for our listeners? This week's question from hell is, what's the best thing that happened to you in 2020? What is the best thing that happened to you in 2020?
1: And we had two different people answer with the same answer they gave us for the worst thing that happened to them in 2020. And I'm really, really curious about the Joel McHale story that that person keeps telling I I gotta know more about it The person with our favorite answer to this week's question From Hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want You can check out all of our merchandise right now By going to thisishell.com and clicking on support Where you will see all the ways you can contribute To completely listener-supported This Is Hell Remember, without you, we got nothing So thanks to all of you for your support You can leave your answer to this week's question from Hell At our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio You can direct message it to us via Twitter At thisishellradio you can email it to either of us, Chuck at ThisIsHell.com, Alex at ThisIsHell.com. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner. Following Jeff Dorchin, and the moment of truth during this week's moment of truth, Jeff tells how he'll win the war. Not sure which war. Don't know how he'll win it. But we'll be finding out later Alex, I have more of your answers to this week's Question from Hell following our guest Again, this week's Question from Hell is What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? Which is probably Either hard to remember or hard to fathom Your eyewitness to grief This Is Hell On each and every one of our final 12 episodes of 2020 here on This Is Hell, we are revealing another title to make our annual list of favorite books to be featured on This Is Hell in interviews with their authors. Today's book, the last book to make our list of 12 favorite titles of 2020, is The Dawning of the apocalypse the roots of slavery white supremacy settler colonialism and capitalism in the long 16th century by gerald horn by now we all know about the 1619 project the new york times interactive project that reexamines slavery's legacy in the united states while commemorating the 400th anniversary of the first africans to arrive in virginia as slaves which according to the project began the transatlantic slave trade There's only one slight or gigantic problem with that project. It kind of ignores over 100 years of Africans being brought to southeastern United States as slaves, particularly in Florida, but not by the British. The Africans were brought by the first nation that tried to colonize the continent, and that was... Spain. Spain failed in their attempt, but the British learned from Spain's mistakes and perpetrated a far more brutal form of slavery upon Africans, based not on religion, as Catholic Spain had done, but race. From Gerald's writing, we learn slavery actually began here in the United States long before 1619, and ignoring that history ignores the fact that slavery began not over 120 years after Columbus came ashore. But within only a few years, if not just a couple of days, knowing Columbus, genocidal maniac, that makes the final book to make our 2020 list of our favorite titles to be featured here on This Is Hell in interviews with their authors. The Dawning of the Apocalypse, the Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century by Gerald Horne. And we are about to... Rename our annual favorite book list, the Gerald Horn book list, because this is the third. Straight Year One of Gerald's books Has made our list Back in 2018 His book The Apocalypse of Settler Colonialism The Roots of Slavery White Supremacy And Capitalism In 17th Century North America And the Caribbean Was one of our favorites And last year White Supremacy Confronted U.S. Imperialism And Anti-Communism Versus the Liberation Of Southern Africa From Rhodes to Mandela Was one of our favorites Of 2019 And I believe Alex you sent me An email earlier today That Gerald Horn Has a new
0: book Coming out in January Uh, Yes so, uh, clear the list for The Bittersweet Science, Racism, Racketeering, and the Political Economy of Boxing.
1: That sounds fantastic. Can you book that for a Tuesday so Jess will be in here for it and we can send him a oh, copy yeah, he's a as boxer. well? Because he's into boxing, exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, uh, Gerald sent that book to us already, so I'm really excited to have that. Oh, big Gerald Horn fans on this show.
1: Oh, my God. He's so great. Every one of his books has been so great. I never want to name a book by the same author in consecutive years. But I've enjoyed our conversations with him so much And I've enjoyed those books so much Gerald Horn, people, you've got to check out his recent work Either his titles from 2018, 2019, or 2020 This is Hell, the last place you thought you'd hear A last-minute holiday gift suggestion Coming up, India's farmers have gone on strike We'll also have Jeff Dorchin and The Moment of Truth During this week's moment, Jeff tells how he'll win the war Tells us how he'll win the war and Alex will have more of your answers to this week's question from hell. Again, what was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? person with our best answer gets your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. You can see all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to our Facebook page, tweet it to us, or email it to us. But we must have your answer by the end of this day's show, today's show, Thursday's show. So we can tell you if you've won. Live from the nightmare of want, this is hell, and what we want right now is to start an interview with Avik Saha about the strike that is taking place in India. This is when we would be interviewing Avik, but this morning there was a family health emergency, and unfortunately we have just learned that a member of Avik's family has passed away. He had to rush to the hospital, we don't have a guest on to discuss the India farmer strike, When we started doing daily weekday shows, Monday through Friday, live at 10 a.m. Chicago time back in January, this year, first time we've done it, Monday through Thursday here at ThisIsHell.com and Fridays at Patreon.com slash ThisIsHell, I had two great fears, two things I was very afraid of happening. The first was that I would not be able to physically do five shows a week, and at times this year that proved to be the case. I missed a little over a week of shows due to various stupid sundry illnesses. But my far greater fear was that at the last minute, a guest would cancel on us for whatever reason, and throughout all of 2020, that never happened. I could not believe our luck. Well, here on the last show of 2020, that luck has run out, and we do not have a guest to tell you what's happening with the India farmer's strike. All that said, here is what I can tell you based on the research I did for our conversation with Avik that you should be listening to right now. India Today reported that in New Delhi, on November 30th, 200,000 to as many as 300,000 farmers protested reforms being pushed by the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. My pages are stuck together. These protesters have not left as the farmers' strike continues. These protests started back in July When three farming proposals by the Modi government were first suggested, Al Jazeera reports the farmers have been blocking half a dozen major highways on the outskirts of New Delhi for three weeks and say they won't leave until the government quashes what they call the black laws passed by the parliament in September, reminding me that Jesus, India is racist. The New York Times explains, farmers have been opposed to Modi's changes from the very beginning. They see the laws as an attack on their identity and a means to fundamentally alter the way they have been farming for generations. The first protests were in the agriculture-rich states of Haryana and Punjab. So what changed in the last few weeks? What caused the protests to grow to the size they are in the last few weeks after starting back in July? Well, that was the kind of question we were going to be asking Avik. But according to an analysis by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the Indian government of Prime Minister Modi is seeking to wind back decades-old socialist-inspired policies, instead replacing them with a market-driven economic model. The reforms would remove the middleman and allow farmers to sell directly to supermarket chains and food distribution companies. The Modi government argues these reforms will give farmers the choice of what they sell, who they sell it to, and for how much But as we learned Earlier this year when we were talking with Zhao Wei Wang, author of one of the books To make our favorites list this year Blockchain Chicken Farm And Other Stories of Tech In China's Countryside The disappearance of the middleman And the application of blockchain in China Meant farmers had to now be the middleman Which may mean more in profits But it also means more work In that they have to fulfill the work Of the middleman And they didn't have a constant or consistent market in which they could compete. But as ABC Australia puts it, farmers believe that the reforms will leave them at the mercy of big business. And that's a problem as around 70% of India's entire population relies on agriculture for their livelihoods. India's farmers are mostly smaller marginal landowners with 68% owning less than a hectare. Again, that's two-thirds of India's farmers farming on less than two and a half acres of land. As ABC reported, the farmers are in fear of being vulnerable to big agriculture because they own such small shares of land. And that's the system Modi wants to compete against, the system that India has had in place for generations, a system that protects the small farmer from the vagaries of the big market by doing such things as guaranteeing that the government will purchase food from farmers at a set minimum floor price. Modi insists that system, the MANDI system, M-A-N-D-I, MANDI system, will not disappear, that the new privatized system would actually exist alongside the old system. However, within the new laws, if you leave the old system for the new system, leave the old system that protects you for the new system that doesn't, you are not allowed back within the protections of the old system. Therefore, the small farmer is left vulnerable to the market once he actually engages with the market. Here's the deal, there's something much bigger happening here. It's not that it's the end of farming, it's the end of culture. As in India, agriculture is culture. This is a culture war. ABC tells how small landowners fear they will be bought out by big corporations. Protest leaders this week said they would boycott services and facilities owned by Adani and another Indian conglomerate, Reliance, which are rumored to be the huge conglomerates going to be taking over these small farmers' land. The New York Times notes several protesting farmers who were interviewed in late November spoke of their fear of being swallowed up by corporate titans such as Mukesh D. Ambani, India's richest man, and Gautam Adani, who is not far behind, both known to be close to Mr. Modi. So Friends of Mr. Modi owns the corporations that are possibly the ones that will be buying up all of the small farm owners' lands. In the Times, they also quote one of the farmers, Maywas Singh, protesting in in New Delhi, saying, our land is our mother. It was passed on to us from our parents, who got it from their parents. And now Modi wants to acquire it and give it away to his rich friends. On the three proposed reforms of Modi's, BBC News reports... Taken together, the reforms will loosen rules around sale, pricing, and storage of farm produce, rules that have protected India's farmers from the free market for decades. The three proposals by Modi also allow private buyers to hoard essential commodities for future sales, which only government-authorized agents could do earlier, and they outline rules for contract farming, where farmers tailor their production to suit a specific buyer's demand. Sukhdev Singh Kokri, a farmer in India, told BBC Punjabi, This is a death warrant for small and marginalized farmers. This is aimed at destroying them by handing over agriculture and market to the big corporates. They want to snatch away our land, but we will not let them do this. Another problem is none of this was done democratically. As BBC describes, farmers have long been a crucial voting block for parties, and the controversy has certainly divided the parties. But the row is partly after the result of the manner in which the two bills were passed. Despite repeated requests from the opposition, the governing BJ party, BJP, refused to extend the debate over the bill to the next day or to refer it to a special committee where members could discuss it and refine it further. Even as pandemonium erupted, opposition MPs stormed the well of the House, threw their microphones, tore up papers, The deputy chairman of the House, who is a member of parliament from a party that supports the government, chose to go ahead with the vote. But to the ire of the opposition, he conducted a voice vote rather than a physical ballot. The latter, which all allows individual MPs to cast their vote, is always more accurate. The voice vote, opposition MPs allege, was not just rushed, but also unclear. In the din of the protest, they say it was hard to determine if the BJP had enough votes to pass the the three bills. BBC also quotes agriculture policy expert Devendra Sharma saying leaving farmers to the tyranny of the markets would be akin to putting the sheep before the wolf. There are leakages in the current system and it needs to be reformed, but replacing one failed model with another is not the solution. BBC concludes evidence from states where farmers haven't benefited even after wholesale markets were dismantled supports Sharma's argument. There are no easy answers, but experts agree that in a country where agriculture employs so many millions, leaving farmers' fates to the vagaries of the market cannot be the only answer. The New York Times also quoted Sharma saying, There is no evidence in the world where the market price has ever benefited farmers. Al Jazeera reported yesterday India's Supreme Court has offered to set up a mediation panel to end the three week protest by tens of thousands. Actually, hundreds of thousands of farmers demanding the repeal of new agricultural laws that they say will drive down crop prices and devastate their earnings. The court yesterday sent notices to the government and the farmers' representatives across the country seeking their views on the proposal and set Thursday for a possible decision. So there may be a conclusion to the protest soon. Or maybe not. Al Jazeera adds... The BKU, or Indian Farmers Union, argued that the laws were arbitrary because they were enacted without proper consultations with the stakeholders, which means the laws themselves may be unconstitutional. All that said, the protesters are demanding a rollback of the three new laws, which would privatize the Indian agricultural sector and open it up to multinational agricultural concerns. And they want the end of Modi's entire program Apparently has an entire branch of government Or entire bureau that he has created To privatize everything that is currently publicly owned Or protected by the Indian government And that's where the situation stands As near as I could figure out In doing research for our guest Who unfortunately is not here to give us their perspective On the ongoing Indian farmers striking Instead he's mourning the death of a relative Which sucks but what sucks for us about not having AVEC on is you were all very interested in hearing about the farmer strike as despite its size or, or maybe it's because of its size the strike is not getting any coverage here in the U.S. Listener Adam even sent us a couple of great questions to ask AVEC. Adam writes far, um, from the far left to the far right from identitarian and nationalist groups to women's and students movements to trade unions and farmers collectives. Indians seem to be far better organized than Americans. Even after adjusting for our smaller population, and even though historically large numbers turned out to support Black Lives Matter this year in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, it's doubtful that tens of millions of people would undertake the sustained collective action that would actually challenge power here anytime soon. What can Americans learn from Indians about building organizations and cultivating movements? Adam also asks, what can This Is Hell listeners do to be in solidarity with those on strike? Adam and everyone, we will be contacting Avic to ask him exactly that and if and when we get an answer, we'll be sharing it over the holidays. Keeping it real, real deep in debt since 1996, this is Helen if you want to help out us climb out of that debt. You can subscribe to tomorrow's Patreon podcast at patreon.com slash thisishell. Become a subscriber to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell and get exclusive access to our weekly Friday Patreon podcast, which streams live at 10 a.m. Chicago time is podcasted the same place shortly after. This week on Patreon, we are concluding our ongoing series of playing interviews we did shortly after Barack Obama became president to remember what people were saying and thinking the last time a member of the Democratic Party became president of the United States and this week we are sharing our March 14th 2009 interview with financial historian and an e- economist Michael Hudson, president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trends, a Wall Street financial analyst and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. In 2007, Dr. Hudson was chief economic policy advisor for the Kucinich for President campaign, so you can bet he was no fan of the Obama administration's economic and financial policies. I'm going to have a sip of water, and by the way, I just got to say something about having a sip of water. I went to go get a water. Can you turn Let me just a little bit there? Uh, I went to go get a water, new water container the other day. For adults, they don't have anything that doesn't look like a child's sippy cup. Is this how infantilized our culture has become, that even adults now have to use a sippy cup? Because I don't want a gigantic sports sippy cup. Ugh. Ugh. There's something I hate about using a straw. I don't know what it is. Michael was on to talk about the most recent writing at the time, an article titled The Language of Looting, wherein Michael writes the rhetoric of free markets, nationalization, and even socialism, as in socializing the losses, has been turned into the language of deception to help the financial sector mobilize government power to support its own special privileges. Having undermined the economy at large, Wall Street's public relations think tanks are now dismantling The language itself. Michael concludes Neoliberal denunciations of public Regulation and taxation as socialism Is really an attack on classical Political economy, the original liberalism Whose ideal was to free society From the parasitic legacy of feudalism A truly socialized treasury Policy would be for banks to lend For productive purposes that contribute to Real economic growth, not merely to increase Overhead and inflate asset Prices by enough to extract Interest changes. Fiscal policy Would aim to minimize rather than maximizing the price of home ownership and doing business by basing the tax biz- tax system on collecting the rent that is now being paid out as interest. Shifting the tax burden off wages and profits onto rent and interest was the core of classical political economy in the 18th and 19th centuries, as well as the progressive era and social democratic reform movements in the United States and Europe prior to World War I, but the doctrine and its reform program has been buried by the rhetorical smokescreen organized by financial lobbyists seeking to muddy the ideological waters sufficiently to mute popular opposition due to today's power grab by finance capital and monopoly capital. Their alternative, is, uh, their alternative to true nationalization and socialization of finance is debt peonage, oligarchy, and neo-feudalism. They have called this program free markets. But you can only hear our conversation with Michael Hudson and my own personal year in review, which I'm certain will be incredibly embarrassing, if not completely humiliating, by subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash this is hell. Thanks for joining us on Patreon. This week's goes out to Anna, Kelly, Mark, and another Kelly, and Schlaf, Schaf, Schaf. I'm going to say Schaf. Thanks to everyone who subscribes at Patreon.com slash ThisIsHell or goes to ThisIsHell.com and clicks on support. Without you, This Is Hell ain't possible. In a few minutes, Jeff Dorchin will be delivering a moment of truth during this week's moment. Jeff tells how we'll win the war. Producing this week's show is Alex Jerry. This week's question from hell is What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? The person with our favorite answer gets whatever piece of This Is Hell merchandise they want, by, and you can find it all by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to the, on our Facebook page, you can tweet it to us, you can email it to us, but we have to have your answer. By the time Jeff Dorchin's moment of truth is over, as we announce this week's winner and every week's winner following Jeff Dorchin and the moment of truth, Alex, do you want to give some answers to the question from Hell now, or do you just want to go to Jeff? What is your deal?
0: Uh, I'm fine with either one.
1: Uh, let's get some answers to the question from Hell. Can you uh, right, sit tight, Jeffy? Yeah. So let's hear
0: some of yours, some of the answers from our listeners
1: for this week's
0: question from Hell. This week's question from Hell is: What is the best thing that happened to you in 2020? What is the best thing that happened to you? And surprisingly, less responses than last week's Quest from Hell, which was, what was the worst thing that happened to you in 2020? (laughs) Not surprisingly. Uh, So, Neil C. says, I slept well for a whole week, or maybe that was 2019. (laughs) I'm too tired to remember. (laughs) Uh, Flying Needle says, the pandemic cut my daily work hours down from 10 to 8, so I've been able to have dinner with my pops every night. That's kind of cool. Adam B. says, best, I tried mushrooms. Worst. They wore off. <laughs> Our old friend Farts 69 said, I started my very first desk job back in April, and I work from home. I have finally broken past the conspiracy and tapped into my infinite source of original slack. Praise Bob. <laughs> Hypocrite Reader says, Winning the question from hell. Kevin B says, My photography show that I had at Olivia Gallery in Chicago in July. It was friggin' awesome. And Caden says... Somehow this year, I completed a ton of milestones. I graduated, I came out, I legally changed my name, and I got into my college third choice. Glad I was able to keep going through the chaos. So glad to uh, hear another third choice college person weighing in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Another end of the world is possible. This is hell. I know you have Hefe on the line. Two. You know what?
2: Must be the season of the wish. Welcome to the year and moment of truth, the thirst that is the drink. Caveat Omega. The following is satire, or at worst, a joke. It is neither an earnest account, nor a call to action, nor should it be taken as an excuse for any authorities or their paramilitary proxies to molest or prosecute the writer and or his, her, or their confederates. Caveats. Brought to you by Josephus. Do you like education? Do you like grapes? Do you like water-based spar varnish? Do you like the Ramuna Triangle? Josephus. Can the dead return to life? I know this is more of an Easter question than a Christmas question, but I have to ask because I plan on killing numerous people during and or slightly prior to the upcoming revolution or war for independence from capitalism. And I want to be sure they can't seek me out from some vantage point in the world of the dead, a mountaintop or a ziggurat perhaps, and thus locate me here in the living world, pierce the numinous veil, inhabit some corporeal structure of flesh, bone, and tendon, and do me an injury and in payback. It really would spoil my plans, or at least disrupt them terribly. My plan, and this is just between us, is to commit a few well-chosen assassinations first, either in the first few weeks of the war or in the weeks leading up to it. This latter option is more difficult to plan for, but if everything we did in following our bliss were easy, wouldn't be bliss, would it? And this particular segment of the plan is not such a worry. No one's ever gone wrong committing an assassination. I mean, there are the celebrated disasters we're familiar with from the lurid press, the Kennedys, Lincoln, Caesar, McKinley, King, John Lennon, Archduke, Franz Ferdinand, and such. But those are the sensational tentpole assassinations, the splashy affairs. Your run-of-the-mill assassination is just too run-of-the-mill for the, the tabloids, and they're all tabloids these days, to bother with. The Russians, USA, and Israelis get away with them all the time. Israel just did one in Iran a couple weeks ago. Putin just denied an attempted one 10 hours ago. And no one even got their hair must in consequence. I can hardly imagine anyone but an aggrieved bureaucrat even giving their desk so much as an angry fist pound. And I think I can muster enough proof of Jewishness to qualify for Israeli citizenship. It used to be automatic for any Jew but that country club has become restricted in recent years. I would say that's ironic, but irony is dead, and who assassinated it? A mystery. No one doubts Israel had a hand in that operation, though. Should Israel fail to step up? There are ample alternative options for acquiring the necessary skills. I'm not worried about that part of the plan. They're even discussing the possibility of the federal government paying to train people for the high-tech jobs of the future, and if assassin isn't going to be a high-tech, high-status, high-paying career in the years ahead, well, we can pretty much kiss advancement and progress goodbye along with the American dream and Lady Liberty herself. I'm not just waiting around for someone to give me an education, either. I've done some autodidactivity. I once read an article in Soldier of Fortune magazine about how to take out a sentry. The trick to assassination is you have to sneak up from behind. If you can conduct your entire war that way, you're sure to win. That's probably the first lesson in the art of war, sneak up from behind. I wouldn't know. I'd like to pursue war as a science rather than an art. Even more than that, I'd like to pursue it as a sweet science, like boxing. But if the opponent were facing the other way, wouldn't that be sweet? After the strategic assassinations, leaving the enemy leaderless and bewildered, the war proper can begin. That's assuming the victims of assassination don't come back to life to get revenge. It's unlikely the undead would be the speedy zombies of 28 Days Later and the later Living Dead movies beginning with Day of the Dead and those that followed. More likely they'd be the lumbering zombies of the first couple of the of the Dead movies, Night and Dawn. As you can tell, I've done quite a lot of research on the dead coming back. Vampires are rough customers. They have their limitations. The sparkly vampires from the Teenage Twilight franchise won't be a problem. They're very emotional, but unless you kidnap their girlfriends, they pretty much leave you alone. The Frankenstein creature is a one-off. A patched-together jalopy of several lifeless masses and probably wandering in the Arctic if he's even alive anymore of more realistic concern are the New Testament undead. In my studies, I've read The Last Temptation of Christ by Nikos Kazantzakis, and there, to my relief, the report about Lazarus is encouraging. Lazarus was pretty apathetic after being brought back to life by Jesus. He didn't seem to have much get-up-and-go to speak of. He wandered around in a pouty, taciturn daze, like a resentful, hungover, passive-aggressive awakened too early. I think we can handle such a person. The scary one is Jesus. That's who you got to watch out for. That Jesus is one to keep a wary eye on. When he come back from the dead, when when he came back from the dead, the first thing he did was start rolling boulders around. By all accounts, he had the strength of 10 vampires. If he hadn't ascended to a heavenly throne, he'd been a formidable foe. Although, as I say, being snuck up on from behind is a difficult move to counter. The avenging host from the revelation of John the Divine presents Jesus as an insurmountable obstacle, but that whole production, flaming swords, etc., has been predicted over and over and always fails to materialize, and even so, we can still try sneaking up from behind. It seems the strongest move, and I don't know why generals in the past haven't relied on it more. Once the war starts in earnest, well... I can't reveal all the strategies we'll be putting into action, but if you wanted to practice sneaking up from behind, I won't discourage you. I predict we'll be doing a lot of sneaking up from behind. By the way, Napoleon was an idiot. Hey, Wellington, meet me at Waterloo. We'll be facing you, marching right toward you. I'll be the one with his hand crammed in his shirt between the buttons just above my fly, scratching my belly like a dumbass. I've been taking notes while watching the series The Good Lord Bird, the story of John Brown, starring Ethan Hawke, who, despite his last name, does not play the bird. That John Brown knew the value of a sneak attack, even if he didn't always pull it off. I wouldn't be surprised if Ho Chi Minh hadn't swiped a few of his moves back at Dien Bien Phu. It is my sincere wish for all of us this holiday season that we crush our enemies in the coming year. May we be victorious. May our dead enemies stay that way. May our resolved arguments never be reawakened by returning fads. And may we distribute power and the bounty of the world justly, equally, generously, and righteously among all the beings of the earth. And may our reconstruction this time be successful, sustainable, renewable, jubilant, and squeaky clean. Have a blessed revolution, everyone. Ho, 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 oh, chemin. This has been the moment of truth. Good yule.
1: I am I looking am forward to Lord. watching the rest of the Good Lord uh, Bird episodes. I saw the first one, and the outcome of that was my... I stopped shaving. Stopped trimming my beard, and now my beard has gone totally John Brown. It went from homeless, and I can say that because I was homeless, to Taliban, to now it's on to its John Brown look. So, how is Good Lord Bird after the first episode?
2: Uh, Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not that much farther. I'm, I'm about four episodes, three or four episodes from the end. Um, The first episode was, to me, the best because. You know, the guy who, who, who appears in it once, who never appears in it again, who's like peeing while the uh there's a guy in the cart they oh, yeah. kept, a cart that have white guy. So that guy who's peeing is my friend Justin Wellborn, who is my co host of the of Right Club Los Angeles. Here. <laughs> and he's in like every western thing or southern thing. He's in he was in uh what was that Elmore Leonard thing that took place in uh Kentucky Harlan County uh, reconstructed restricted ratified re- justified
1: okay
2: he yeah using justified he was in, he was in uh, sharp little th- objects or whatever that that broken little the amy amy what's her face so does this, um, so does
1: this guy appear later on what? in the series again i don't think so i
2: think he just leaves and that's it <laughs> so watch
1: it for uh Jeff's friend Jason Wellborn, who is Justin, a, Justin, Justin Wellborn, is an amazing actor. Apparently, he's, <laughs> he's,
2: he's really good. He's in, he was in Godless. He's, he's, he's got, a, he's got a career. <laughs>
1: Hey, uh, one other thing though, Jeff. I I'm yeah. do, I do want to binge watch something over the holidays. Last holiday season when Laura and I actually had time to do, so we watched uh Chernobyl one after one day. Uh oh, is yeah. there any uh, series that you would suggest that I watch even if it's an older series, anything. I'm just trying to find something that both of us would enjoy.
2: Well, let me think of a few things, but I but it, do you have do you have access to Hulu at all? Yeah. I would check out uh Lodge forty nine. If you haven't done that, Lodge forty nine. Lodge forty nine. It's a you know it 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 was canceled a few years ago, but uh, just character wise and writing wise, it's pretty great. And um, you know, let me give give it some thought. I do want to weigh in a little bit on Modi because Modi has been uh, a bane in my life. <laughs> yes, you know he, he's actually you know. he uh, Oh, Where to start? He's really, he's the bloom is off the rose with Modi. Uh, a very famous friend of mine who came out in support of him before the before, just before he got elected because they were like, well, who else? You know who's who else is going to come in and do anything? I mean, the Congress was just totally out of gas. Um, so it was the BJP all the way. Um, she's even not supporting him now, and she's hugely famous and uh it just seems like uh and as for the as for the farmers i'm not sure if the the farmer arrangement in kerala is a little different because first of all they're the big communist state in india right it, it
1: varies from state to state yeah they're pointing that out in the one of the articles i was reading
2: yeah so but i'm not so i'm and they you know the rice growers there, the ones who grow the kerala red rice which is a famous kerala rice would always uh sell it to the government uh, they would all sell to the government and then they'd get seed back and and so risk was was distributed among all of them by pooling all the rice and selling it to the government and um i don't know if that i assume that i don't know if they're involved in the thing or not in the uh, protest or not i'd like to find out but um the farmers i know in kerala are all actors from mumbai so that's not gonna work
1: The other thing that I was reading, one of the demands of the protesters is this demand to allow paddy burning, which I was assuming it had to do with uh, rice farming, and how the government was going to try to end that paddy burning and how the farmers want to continue that paddy burning and get rid of the uh, restrictions that were on it. When you were there, did you hear anything or ever see paddy burning going
2: on with rice farming? Never saw any patty burning, and I'm not sure what advantage there would be to it. I mean, it, uh, I guess it gets rid of all the like waste and stuff. And fire
1: often, you know, creates more nutrients for the ground possibly. I I have no idea what it was, but it was just something I came across because I was going to, that was going to be my question from hell for Avik was if we are supporting the uh, protesters, the farmers in this situation, are we supporting a process or farmers and protesters who want to do something that contributes to climate change by paddy burning? And I have no idea if that's the case or not, but that was going to be my question from hell.
2: There are a lot of burning habits in Asia that need to change. yeah, I mean, obviously, we have to, the United States and giant corporations have to change the most, like, completely. But uh, in Thailand, there's, like, a season of burning, where if you just, you go there during that season, uh, and tourists have gone there during the burning season, uh, like, all of a sudden, there was ashes just falling from the sky everywhere, and the air was filled with smoke, and uh, India has a smoke season, like, every three months, I think, depending, like, the The last time there were firecrackers, the air was more polluted than it had ever been before in Delhi. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) All right, Jeffy. So what is the best thing that happened to you in 2020?
2: Well, as I said, uh, uh, I uh, avoided getting in a relationship. (laughs) It's a lot easier when you don't have to be around anyone
1: cuz you do spend a lot of time when there are no pandemics around you spend a lot of time avoiding relationships i've seen your whiteboard it's very complicated
2: <laughs> it is there are like there are all these strings from one little push pin to another and you have to keep cutting them
1: and they all it, go it, back to
2: Zog. it's so weird dude your whole thing is really weird man come on <laughs> Come on, don't out me like that. I'm Now I'll never get into the Israeli assassin program.
1: <laughs> that you've been applying to for years.
2: Well, you know, you got to, like I say, you used to be able to get it. Israel, by the way, you know, irony is dead and Israel killed it. <laughs> Just to, to look at it they're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not, Nazis are really horrible. The way they round people up, putting them in concentration camps. By the way, here's a bunch of people we like <laughs> to put in concentration camps.
1: All right, Jeffy, on that note for
2: 2020. Yes. Happy Hanukkah,
1: <laughs> Did you know that uh, Trump actually said happy Chanukah this week?
2: No, shut <laughs> up.
1: <What? laughs> That's what I, I heard a drop of it uh, the other day, and they said this was from earlier this week. I have not do not want to confirm that in any way, but I would like to spread that as a rumor that he actually said it this week. But yeah, I, I'd like there to is a that- recording of him saying happy Chanukah.
2: I'd like to get Netanyahu's reaction.
1: <laughs> All right, Jeffy yeah stay beautiful and enjoy your holidays
2: oh hey i'm gonna glug by the way am i just glugging by myself at my house is that what that whole event is you gotta talk to my girly about that
1: (laughs) okay live from (laughs) live from land stolen from the Potawatomi people this is Hell. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, Captooth tooth radio show, podcast, live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing today's show is Alex Jerry. This week's question from Hell is, what was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from Hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, where you will find all of the ways that you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell. Remember, without you, we got nothing. So thank you for all your support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell right now at our Facebook page. You can tweet it to us. You can email it to us. But you have to put your answer in right now As we are about to announce this week's winner of the Question from Hell, Alex, please share with us the rest of our listeners'
0: answers to this week's Question from Hell. Uh, This week's Question from Hell is... What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020 2020 i don't want to get ahead of myself there 2020 uh, although
1: Je- i thought that was your question earlier this week and i thought that would have been a great question from hell what's the best thing that happened to you in 2021 that's uh, maybe actually
0: that's maybe that's the uh, first week back we'll do that <laughs> exactly uh, jeff g says i got to see burning cop cars in the conservative racist midwest city where i live sometimes dream- dreams do come true
1: i tried to find out what city he was in couldn't find out
0: kim g says my student loan debt going on hiatus And finally, Julie M. says, this is a good one to end on. Uh, Julie M. says, I met two new friends, a possum and a raccoon.
1: (laughs) I like how it's an, a possum, and a raccoon, which is kind of hard to say, an and then and shortly afterwards. I really did like Julie's answer I also like Braden. He said The country I live in Has managed to part- uh, Practically eliminate COVID-19 Despite being run By a bunch of Corrupt and incompetent A-holes I'm not terrified Every time I leave My house anymore But the usual dread And uneasiness uneas- Big win And that's really Not that great of an answer Right But better And what made That answer so great Was Braden's Own response To his own comment After he informs us that he's in Australia, he writes, LOL, jump the gun on that one. Let the terror resume. (laughs) So things are not going as well as Braden had hoped. Jeff saying, I got to see burning cop cars. I did like that answer. I liked your story, Alex, about how a party attendee at your next door neighbor's house was screaming about her excitement of having new additions, Johnny Gill, like her Instagram
0: post. It was the, I'm not joking. That was the highlight of my year. I think about that moment uh, all the time.
1: But you do know you cannot win as you are a staff member here. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, Pete, I would like to congratulate you For having a great answer as well Pete said, discovered that not giving a shit anymore Is way easier than I thought Which I really, really liked And I apologize, Alex, for you having to bleep that out later on But Pete owns the bar downstairs So, sorry Pete, you don't qualify either Ronaldo's answer of uh, That he, proved to my, he said he proved to myself That any a-hole can make a loaf of bread That's a good answer But again member of the staff here on This Is Hell Garrett saying best part of 2020 for him was not dying of COVID but Garrett has won in the past so that makes this week's winner Julie for answering I met two new friends an opossum and a raccoon Julie you have won your choice of our Anything in our merchandise line at Thisishell.com when you click on support Congratulations, now all you have to do is Send us what Piece of This Is Hell merchandise You would like to have And your mailing address And we will send you your Prize, send it to us as soon as Possible and we will send you it back To you as soon as possible, if any of that Made sense, my answer to this week's Question from Hell, what was the best thing that happened To you in 2020 What was the best thing that happened to you in 2020? I was thankfully and gratefully reintroduced to the joy of toaster strudel while waking and baking on weekends. Thanks to everyone for sending in your answer to this week's question from hell. And special thanks to those of you who went to thisishell.com and clicked on support to show your support for This Is Hell last night. Thanks, John Kay, for supporting This Is Hell. We truly appreciate it. Remember, we are completely listener supported, so without you, we got nothing. Again, thanks, John Kay, for going to thisishell.com and clicking on support and showing your support for completely listener supported This Is Hell. Tune in Monday, December 21st through Saturday, January 2nd here at ThisIsHell.com When we will be sharing the interviews with the authors of our favorite books to be featured here on This Is Hell in 2020 For 12 straight days at ThisIsHell.com Over the holidays you can find another of the conversations we had with an author of one of our favorite books that we discussed this year on the show That's 12 days of hellish books starting Monday, December 21st at ThisIsHell.com And running 12 days through Saturday January 22nd. Check out all the books To make this year's list at our Facebook page On Twitter and on our website The four books That we added this week To our list of annual favorites Were The Feminist War on Crime The Unexpected Role Of Women's Liberation and Mass Incarceration By Aya Gruber Stranger Danger, Family Values Childhood and the American Carceral State By Paul M. Renfro Tacky's Revolt The Story of an Atlantic Slave War What Europeans Call the Transatlantic Slave Trade By Vincent Brown And the 12th and final book To make the list we announced earlier today The Dawning of the Apocalypse The Roots of Slavery White Supremacy Settler Colonialism By Gerald Horn. Uh, And uh, this is the third consecutive year Gerald has made the list Which is unprecedented In our over 20 years of doing these lists on air And, well, we got a couple of minutes I might as well read off the other eight titles That made the list this year For those of you who do not feel like going to Facebook Or going to Twitter Or going online at all to find any of the books So I'll give you a chance to pick up a pen And write them down the other books we mentioned this year were The Enchantments of Mammon, How Capitalism Became the Religion of Modernity by Eugene McCarraher. The Government of No One, The Theory and Practice of Anarchism by Ruth Kinna. A People's Guide to Capitalism, An Introduction to Marxist Economics by Hadas Thier. The End of the Mega Machine, A Brief History of a Failing Civilization by Fabian Scheidler, Sinews of War and Trade, Shipping and Capitalism in the Arabian Peninsula by Laleh Khalili, The Hologram, Feminist Peer-to-Peer Health for a Post-Pandemic Future by Cassie Thornton, Potential History, Unlearning Imperialism by Ariella Aisha Azulay, and that might have been my favorite book this year, to be, to be honest. Though I hate picking favorites And finally Tiny You A Western History of the Anti-Abortion Movement By Jennifer L. Holland Again you can find the whole list on our Facebook page Our Twitter feed at our website And hear one of those interviews Each day at thisishell.com Beginning Monday December 21st And running through Saturday January 2nd 2021 We start every week's Live streaming shows here at Thisishell.com with Alex revealing This week's hangover cure This week's hangover cure is coffee Maybe, who knows Some say it is a cure Some say it is not So really, it's up to you I also mentioned this week how I do not get hangovers anymore And it's kind of concerning to me Because I no longer have that governor In my physiology to actually Tell me to not drink anymore And we got this reaction from Greg Alex, again, I apologize Greg writes, How the fuck do you not get hangovers anymore? I'm old enough that I get a hangover from just walking by the liquor store, (laughs) which I have to do to get home. Please help. Greg, I have no idea why I never get hangovers from drinking far too much, and I do drink far too much, but I can promise you I will be doing far too much research over the holidays, and if I do figure it out, I'll tell you when we return. On Monday, January 4th of next year, 2021 Thanks to all of this week's guests Including sociologist Bram Boucher Author of The Truth About Nature, Environmentalism In the Era of Post-Truth Politics and Platform Capitalism Find out more about Bram at BramBoucher.com That's B-U-S-C-H-E-R.com Follow Bram on Twitter at BramBoucher Thanks to yesterday's guest, historian Lucy DeLapp, author of Feminism's A Global History. Follow Lucy on Twitter at SUFF66, SUFF66. And as as I told Lucy yesterday, I was kind of intimidated about having that conversation with her because she's a big muckety-muck at Cambridge. But I really, really enjoyed that conversation with Lucy And so if you did not hear Wednesday's show Please go back and listen to our interview with historian Lucy DeLapp Author of Feminism's A Global History Which would have made our favorites list if I had not completed it on Monday And finally, thanks to today's guest Who did not make our show So mostly our condolences to today's guest Lawyer farmer activist and national general secretary of Swaraj India Avik Saha who was going to speak to us today about the ongoing farmer strike in India and unfortunately had to rush to the hospital where a family of his a family member of his passed away again our condolences to Avik what a great way to end 2020 huh guest of ours had to cancel at the last minute because relative had a heart attack and died That's just about right for 2020. Talk to you tomorrow on Patreon when we will be playing our 2009 talk with economist Michael Hudson on what the just-inaugurated Obama administration could have done to ensure that the 2008 financial crash would never happen again, but did not. And I will be sharing my own year interview, which will be likely incredibly embarrassing. But you can only hear that by subscribing to This Is Hell on Patreon at patreon.com slash this is hell. Thanks to Alex Jerry for all of the work that he has put in here in 2020. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to everybody who supported This Is Hell by going to thisishell.com slash support. And thanks to everyone who subscribes at patreon.com slash this is hell. Boy, do we need more and more subscribers. Please subscribe. To This Is Hell on Patreon At patreon.com Slash This Is Hell I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show host Chuck Mertz I hope all of you have a better 2021 There's only one way to get over all of the problems That we've introduced to you on this year's This Is Hell That's by sitting down in the lotus position Turning your palms towards the sky Focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead and saying this simple mantra, everybody's stupid.
2: My demon is on my butt. No. Uh, my demon talks to me in profanity like a seller. No. And my demon tries to knock me down. And my demon tries to put me on a hell ride.